we are very much coming into our Christmas program and next week we have two repeat services, five o'clock and seven o'clock and that's going to be our Christmas concert. And the Christmas concert this year is going to be different to what we've done before. There's going to be a mixture of styles. Uh, we're going to have a swing band. Uh, we're going to have a choral group. Uh, we're also going to have um, the Rambar Ballet. Uh, dancers are going to be with us and so it's really going to be a, a great evening so it'll be repeat so you can choose to come to the five or the seven whichever suits you and then the Sunday after that we will be having our carol concert with candlelight and glow sticks and again that will be five o'clock and seven o'clock Christmas Eve communion service Christmas day and then on the Sunday after Christmas for the whole day we have Dave Reedy special guest worship minister a good friend of Kensington Temple he's going to be with us for the whole of the Sunday after Christmas and then we move into our watch night New Year's Eve service and we've got a great evening planned for that our senior minister he is in Nigeria at the moment he's been going to pastor praise Olatona's home church so he's been with him for the last few uh, evenings doing leadership conferences and also uh, with the church. So he'll be coming back tomorrow. So all these things are looking good. Now, we, our ministry team have got some words of knowledge and prophecy that they're going to share with you later. But before we do that, we're going to get into the word. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like you please to turn to Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have ne neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. The Holy Spirit spoke this word to me or highlighted this word in my spirit yesterday and so I thought I would share on it this comes from Matthew chapter 23 and it's very famous because in Matthew chapter 23 we get what we call the seven woes where Jesus speaks against the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders and exposes them for what they really are you know it's interesting when we talk about Christianity it can so easily become an external thing. And we that call ourselves charismatics and Pentecostals, sometimes we're the worst offender because we are often the ones that are criticising other church traditions and pointing out what we perceive to be their religiosity without turning the same finger upon ourselves. The whole of the Sermon on the Mount is about internal Christianity as opposed to external Christianity. When you see Jesus dealing with the Sermon on the Mount, he speaks about the different blessings. Blessed is the person that's pure in heart. Blessed are the merciful. Jesus is commending and blessing the fruit of the inner life in our lives. But at the same time, he exposes an external religiosity that seems to tick all the boxes except God's box. And so he says to the Pharisees, oh, you do well, you don't commit murder, but in your heart... You're full of anger and murder. Oh, you do well. You don't actually commit the deed of adultery. But in your heart, you're committing it all the time. Later on, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about life lived in the secret place with the Father. He says, you know, don't, don't do all your showy giving in front of men, like the Pharisees and Sadducees do. But do it quietly. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Don't make a big show of it. In fact, let only the Father know what you're giving. Don't do all the showy prayers, the glitzy prayers, the loud tongues and the big platform shouts. Do your real business with the door shut. Nobody knows you're praying but the Father. Don't worry about anything in life, but trust the Father. He knows what you need. He looks after the lilies of the field. He looks after the birds. Not one drops to the floor without his sovereign will and permission. He's in control. Trust him. 
The whole of the Sermon on the Mount is speaking about the inner life because the fruit of God comes from your heart. The fruit of the Spirit is born in your heart and produced in your heart. Christianity is all about the inner life coming out. You don't start on the outside in. You start on the inside out. Christianity is a heart religion. And without the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, then our religion is vain and profane. And so this is why when we talk about the Word of God, the Word of God is not about practicing something externally first, but we know that the sower sows the seed. Where does he sow the seed? He sows it in the soil. What is the soil? The soil is our hearts. So this means that there's a danger that we can appear on the outside to be ticking all the boxes of whatever Christian tradition we come from or whatever local church tradition that we come from. We tick the boxes, we look the right part, we say the right words, we know the Christianese, we do all these things, but it doesn't fool Jesus. Now, I'm not here tonight accusing anyone in this place of being a Pharisee. Um, Normally, Pharisees wouldn't attend a Holy Spirit service. (laughs) They they would attend something a little bit, yes, that's right, you're off the hook, don't worry about it. They would attend some other more religious service, perhaps on a Sunday morning or something like that, but we'll leave it at that, eh? But what I want to speak about today is, is not that you're all a bunch of Pharisees and woe to you, but I just want you to look at this particular verse where he says, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. I want us to think about that a little. Throughout Matthew 23, as I've been speaking, you will see that Jesus is saying, look, you do all these things on the outside. You have your traditions and your laws and you look perfectly squeaky clean. But actually, Pharisees and scribes, although you're the leaders, you're missing the point. You're like blind guides leading the blind. What a terrible uh, illustration there. Blind people leading the blind. And when he speaks about this, you blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel, he's really talking about the fact that they just don't see the way that it works. And it's interesting, isn't it? Jesus was loving and kind and and, and there was such a softness in Jesus' heart to the sinners, but there was also a hardness in his heart to the Pharisees. It seems when, when people come to the Lord and soften their heart, he, softened, he softens his heart back. But it also seems that when people come to the Lord and be start hardening their heart, or being haughty, or proud, or beginning to think of themselves as something that they're not, Jesus hardens towards them. If we humble ourselves and draw near to God, God will draw near to us. And God is looking for humility in his presence. He loved to have children around him. Jesus said, you, you want to know what it's like to be a Christian? You want the greatest example? What are you doing? Let those kids come to me. Why? Because their hearts are still innocent, relatively. Their hearts are still soft. There's still that trusting childlikeness that's in them. Unfortunately, in this day and age, by the time you're 14, if you've not been guarded and looked after and, and kept in a, in a good Christian environment, knowing how to deal with the hard knocks of life, you've already lost your childhood. You've already been hardened. And when a great work of the Holy Spirit needs to, to be done. And so when Jesus is speaking about swallowing camels and straining gnats, he's saying something radical has to change in these Pharisees' lives. I'm not saying any of us are Pharisees, but we need to look at the working of God in our lives. Now, it seems a strange thing, doesn't it? I mean, thank you, Michelle, for the great picture you put up. It's a bit hard when you say, oh yeah, I'm going to be speaking on straining gnats and eating camels. Where do you go for a picture? But we've got a nice one there. We've got a camel and we've got a very big gnat. It'd be quite hard to swallow that, but it does give you the sort of impression of, of the relative differences between a huge camel and a tiny fly, a tiny gnat. Now, why did Jesus say this strange phrase, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel? Well, both gnats and camels were unclean to the Jewish people, both of them, both animals. 
and so it would be illegal to eat either of them. Now, it's relatively easy to dodge a camel. I don't know if anybody's ever eaten a camel by mistake. Oh, there it goes. But with these gnats, it was relatively easy to swallow one. And in Jewish tradition, there are all kinds of weird punishments and things that you had to do if you as a pure Jew ever swallowed a gnat, even by mistake. Interestingly, gnats abound by stagnant waters. And I think spiritually, a lot of the Pharisees, they, they were stagnant. They didn't have any of that living water that was going to be poured out of the Spirit. But what Pharisees would do, especially strict ones, is they were very concerned that these gnats would end up in their wine, attracted to the sweetness of it. Um, and so what they would do is they would take muslin, that linen, very fine linen, and they would put it over the lip of their cup of wine. And so that way they would drink their wine through the linen. And if anything had crawled in, if any of these flies or gnats had crawled in, then it would prevent the gnat from getting through and it would prevent them from swallowing it and becoming unclean. Now, just before verse 24, this is where Jesus really explains what he wants people to focus on. He says, look, you tithe mint, dill, cumin, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Three beautiful words, aren't they? Justice, faithfulness, and mercy. You know, we're all thanking God for the way that he used Nelson Mandela in his latter days to play his part in bringing in Change to South Africa without civil war. It's still an incredible act of God that that nation transitioned as it did. And justice, mercy, and faithfulness, these were some of the characteristics that I guess he learnt in prison. You know, when he went in prison, they were calling him a terrorist. But when he came out, whatever happened to him in prison, and he, he did used to read his Bible, he was a Christian, and uh, something happened to him that day after day, I suppose in that environment, he wasn't a perfect man who is, but day after day, something happened to him. And when he came out, he was a changed man. And with that faithfulness and that mercy in his heart, he modelled something to those around him that caused an incredible miracle to take place. There's a long way to go, of course, in that nation, but they've certainly come a long journey to now. If we go to Micah chapter 6, verse 6, I think that was what was in Jesus' mind when he spoke about justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You might want to go to, to that right now. Micah 6 and verse 6. What does the Lord require of us? With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love, kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Jesus is echoing this scripture. He's saying this humility, justice, love, and kindness. You blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. What's taking place when he speaks about straining a gnat and swallowing a camel is that they have a false sense and a false understanding of that which is important and that which isn't important. They're so worried about swallowing a gnat, and they're so concerned about that, and, and worried and focused on that, that they don't even realise, being blind, that they're swallowing camels whole. Already said, it's easy to swallow a fly. Anybody had a fly in their mouth? A few of you but it's almost impossible to swallow a camel. So think about how powerful 
this phrase, which I think sums up the whole chapter, that, wait a second, you, you are focused on little things that seem so important to you. You might even have a church split over some of these things. You may get offended because some of these things aren't happening or are happening. And all the while that you're thinking about these small things and you think they're so important, actually compared to some other things that God is looking at, they're meaningless. And that it is possible to literally be swallowing camels whilst focusing on gnats. They're majoring on minors and minoring on majors. And this is one of the devil's tricks in our lives. He wants to stop the main thing being the main thing. He wants to get us off into little doctrine schisms here. He wants to get us on into, into, into what's the latest flavor, what's the latest conference pulling topic, what is, and get us off in things that aren't wrong in themselves, but they become the main things in our lives or in our studies or in our focuses and, and cease to take their proper place. And while the devil tries to distract us and keep our eyes on the gnats, all the while, the huge things, the big things in life, the things of the heart, the things of humanity are just passing by because we're too busy focusing on the gnats in our lives. Think about yourself. What sort of gnats trouble you? Again, I'm not saying that you're some sort of terrible, grievous Pharisee that Jesus is saying woe to. I'm not really hitting that tonight, although it's valid to do that. What I'm saying is, is what are the things that you focus on or the things that, that mean a lot to you that actually mean very little to God? This can happen in many, many ways. Sometimes it's amazing what offends us. Amazing what offends Christians. I think Christians are the most easily offended people in the world. Does that offend you? <laughs> I have to say that. I think Christians are most easily offended people in the world. And, uh, of course, even offence. One of the worst things that can happen, of course, is when someone says to you, I'm sorry if I offended you. Because when someone comes to you in the Christian church and says, I'm sorry if I offended you, it's an accusation. I've learned that. You say, what? Because offence is a sin. So when someone comes to you about anything and says, oh, I just want to say, I'm sorry if I offended you, 99 times out of 100, because maybe somebody will be genuinely, but I haven't met that one yet. I'm sorry that I've offended you means you've got a problem, you've got offence, you took it wrongly, you're the problem, okay? So not only are we often the most easily offended people in the world, but we also accuse one another of being offended very easy. So if we stumble somebody or if we hurt somebody, we immediately say, well, you took it wrong. Or here's your classic, God knows my heart. <laughs> the amount of times in church discipline situations, we don't have that many, but the amount of times you sit down with someone to really like, help them and to say, look, this has got to stop, or this is wrong, or this is the wrong actions. And they go, well, God knows my heart. And I've learned that God may know your heart, but I only see your actions, and that's all I'm interested in at that particular time. God knows my heart. What are the things that would be your gnats? What, what are the things? Are there things in your life right now that are preventing God's wonderful renewing work in your heart. Things that bug you. We're talking about gnats. Things that bug you. Bug you about other Christians. Bug you about your cell group or your church. Things that bug you about preachers or bug you about this. And they bug you and they buzz around like bees in bonnets. Mixing metaphors here. And the, or the little things. And this can, this can affect everything. It can affect your relationships in marriage. It can affect family relationships, work relationships, where, where we get offended by things. The things that offend you, and we all have to deal with things that come and offend us. But when you think about them, when you think about the things that annoy you, the things that you're unhappy with, the thing, 
Are they really camels? Or are they gnats? The things that you're troubled with. Maybe, maybe there's things... You see, what this is about is getting the right sense of perspective. Gnats and camels. It's bigger than just a fence. It's also about your perspective on positive things in life. I don't know about you, but in my life, sometimes the little things get out of perspective. It's the little things that often get you down. And sometimes you can't see the wood for the trees. And sometimes this is what the devil wants to do. He, he wants to fill our lives. And so we can no longer see the grand, amazing, wonderful themes of God in the church and in the word and in our life and in this, and in this w- world. I mean, the amount of times over the years I've felt like quitting. I don't know if you've ever felt like quitting. But when you're in the ministry and you, you look at this, the situation as it really is and not just as you would wish it to be, when you take a reality check of the state of the nation, a reality check of the state of the church, and a reality check of the state of your own heart, it can be depressing. And when people, and I'm not speaking so much about myself, this isn't a pity party, but when people let us down, when the church lets us down, when we let us down, when these pressures come on our lives, it's easy for these things to begin, they're gnats, but they begin to take on a size all out of sense of proportion. And Jesus was saying, you Pharisees, you've got it all out of proportion. He's saying some of the things that you're doing aren't aren't wrong in themselves. I mean, you tithe. And you haven't neglected tithing. You even tithe on your herbs. The weightier matters of law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So this isn't just about saying, well, the Pharisees got it all wrong and everything that they were doing was totally wrong and sin. No, on the contrary, a lot of the things that they were doing were not just legitimate, they were in themselves God-honoring. But the problem was, as I've said before, they were majoring on minors, and they were minoring on majors. What are the majors? Mercy and faithfulness. The gospel our unsaved loved ones, a nation in darkness, a nation far from God, millions on the precipice of eternal damnation, a gospel that can save to the uttermost, a Holy Spirit that can transform lives from the inside out, not from the outside out. In. Don't try and turn, turn yourself around from the outside in. It won't work. You'll only get so far if through discipline alone and, and trying your best. And do, You have to go to the Holy Spirit. The most imp- I keep telling you at this service, the most important person on planet Earth is the Holy Spirit. Without him we have nothing. Without him, we are nothing, and without him, we can do nothing. And he's a lot bigger than the box we often put him in. A lot bigger than the box we often put him in. The Holy Spirit is so gracious to us. It amazes me how he continues to partner with us. When we have such boxes... We expect him to work in this way, according to this song, at this place, in this way, and and everything like that. In fact, I venture to say, and I I speak as much about myself as anybody else, that that wonderful book by Yungi Cho, The Holy Spirit, My Senior Partner, I think for most of us, he's been our junior partner for so long. You say, what do you mean, The Holy Spirit, My Junior Partner? Well, this is the graciousness of the Lord. Because he's in, in a business, the senior partner is the senior partner. And the associate partner, is, it's very different. The senior partner 
is, takes the lead and the associate is the helper. And often, the way that we treat the senior partner, the Holy Spirit, is that it's almost, we can say the right words and do the right things, but actually, when it comes down to it, it's, this is the way I'm going to go. This far I'll go with you, Lord. Come on and help me. And it's amazing the humility of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing who he'll use, isn't it? I mean, it's amazing. The Holy Spirit so often is prepared to be the junior partner. We're walking around saying, Lord, use me. Lord, do this. Lord, do that. And, and, we got, and, and, and it's like, and yet he still turns up. And yet he still works, and yet he still blesses, and yet there's still more grace, and yet he manifests, even though we're treating him in reality like the junior partner. But God, the Holy Spirit, is the senior partner, and he won't push himself on us. He's not some dictator senior partner, some you know, out-of-control boss. But at the same time, he's not some little wimpy dove. He came down as a dove. He's not a dove. He came down like a dove. He's more like a fire, like a lion. He's the greatest, if I can use the word, force in world history. I mean, he's everywhere. He's not just ministering from the platform and in the cell groups. I mean, he is engaged in nations. The history of the world, the Holy Spirit has been involved in. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants, and he does. And a sense of awesomeness, a sense of coming to the Holy Spirit afresh, without boxing him in, in whatever tradition we might have, of, of allowing him to be the major theme of our lives, to come to him and say, basically, Holy Spirit, I don't really know you at all. There is so much more, so much more of you. Because as we open ourselves up to the working of the Holy Spirit, we are opening our hearts up to such things as mercy and faithfulness. Teach us, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the great teacher. When was the last time God shocked you with his teaching? When was the last time you thought, I can't really cope with this, Lord? When was the last time you read the word of God and it shook you to the bones? When was the last time you couldn't handle what you read? Recently, there's passages in the Bible I just can't handle. What you say, you don't understand them? Oh, no, I can understand them with the mind of a scribe. I can understand them with the theology of a Pharisee. I can understand them with an external. But when you come and it becomes alive to you and you see the depth and the being and the glory of God and the power of God and the holiness, not just the grace, but the holiness of God, and you begin to feel on the inside something unraveling in you. you hear what I'm saying? The process of being undone is not always some cataclysmic, amazing encounter. But sometimes God is on the inside of our hearts and he's unwinding. He's undoing false perceptions. He's trying to change us. God wants us in a constant change. Sorry, a constant state of openness to change in the way that we understand him first and then the way that we understand ourselves. And that can be, can make you feel highly insecure. There's people in this place today, you're very insecure. But I'm not talking about that in a negative way. You're insecure because God is taking away your false securities. And God is doing something in your life that's a deep work. And in order to do the deep work, he has to take some of the layers of religion, don't mean that in a rude way, or tradition, or simply fixed thinking. It's so easy to have a fixed thinking. We're Pentecostals, we think like this. We're Baptists, we think like that. You know what I'm saying? We're Anglicans, we think like the other. I sat under this minister, I think like him. I'm a, you know, and, and we get to this place where we, we have, and we're not ready for God to do something powerful in our lives that's going to perhaps be painful on the inside. 
perhaps make us feel insecure, not quite sure. There's times of not being, sometimes the best times are when you're not sure of God. Sometimes those are the best times when you're not sure of God. Not always, but sometimes there needs to be that unraveling. And that's why God sends to us circumstances. Every circumstance you face, even if it's the devil bringing that circumstance, it is still there by the providence of God. The providence of God. Job is not someone we just shift back into the Old Testament and say, oh, well, he let his guard down. Oh, the thing I feared came upon me and quote Proverbs and say, oh, well, that's all that chapter's dismissed. Should have been, Job should have been a new covenant Christian and then he would never have gone that rubbish. Absolute rubbish. The end of James, Job is given to us as an example, not as a warning. And we know that the enemy came against Job and it was the enemy. But God, in the end, was in control. Job didn't know it, but he was in control. Job didn't know the end of the story. He had no idea that what he was going through was going to be tens and tens of chapters of Holy Scripture that we would be reading down through the ages, that people distraught because of sickness, failure, attacks of the enemy, could go to somebody that went through what they went through and came out the other end. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you go through various trials. Why do you consider trials a joy? Because, not during the trial, but God is fixing on making you mature, lacking in nothing. You come out of a trial, you'll be not lacking what you went into a trial before. That's why you can consider it joy. You say, do you, say, do you applaud and, and consider it joy when God gives you trials? No, I hate it, I squirm, I run, I complain, I... But you know what? I'm beginning to learn that God is at work. That even the negative things that we face, it's not the end of the story. God is control. He really is the Alpha and the Omega. And some things take place where we won't get the Omega on this side of the resurrection. But I tell you what, God will dot every I, cross every T, wipe every tear away. In this life, I hope, but if not in the next, glory to God. We have to get our eyes off the gnats. We've got to stop looking at all the little finicky things that don't mean anything in the end. The things that we, are so, we possess these things. The things that are important to us that aren't important to God. Keep our eyes on things that are eternal. I mean, I mean look at the sense of perspective of the Apostle Paul. He says, oh, I've been through beatings, I've gone without food, I've gone through all these things for the gospel. Do you know what? It's nothing. Absolutely nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory. Wow. What, 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 so, when sometimes when I read the Apostle Paul, I, his sense of perspective on life is so different to mine. His sense of perspective on the things and issues that matter in his personal life, in his relational life, in his ministry life. His sense of perspective is stunning, mind-blowing. Jesus' sense of perception and vision is stunning. It's mind-blowing. God's sense of perception you see, I'm talking about the little things that God's not interested in, but sometimes it's the little things that are big to God. Sometimes it's what you do with the small things that matter so much to God. There's people in this place, you've been faithful in small things. You've said to yourself, what is this all about? Week after week, month after month, year after year, is this it? Is this it? I'm being faithful for this? Is, isn't there any more? And, and it runs you down and you think... Is this it? Is this my impact? And God is saying, these things that are little in your sight, they're big in my sight. They're a process of form formation. The day is coming. The moment is coming. When all the struggles and the weariness and the day-to-day -day routine 
and the wondering, what is the point? Where is this going? One day, my friends, you will see, because God is a God of purpose. There's purpose in it. For some of you, there's purpose in it. Yeah, but it's so small. There's purpose in it. Yeah, but it's not affecting. There's purpose in it. There's no fruit. There's purpose in it. There's purpose in it. Jesus said, look, if a seed doesn't go into the ground and die, a little seed into the ground and die, but if it does go in, it will produce much fruit. The gnats are swarming around us and distracting us. And we're focusing on things that are unimportant. And I'm not talking really about offence tonight, but we're offended or annoyed or put out because of what God has or hasn't done or what others have or haven't done. And God is saying, with the greatest respect and love, get over it. Grow up. Grow up. Get over it. Move on, eh? Move on. Let it go. Get on with it. There's bigger fish to fry. You know, I'm preaching a sermon to you, but I tell you what, I've been preaching it to me for a while. Months. Move on. Get over it. Let it go. Rejoice in the small things. Rejoice in the things that are there. It's the small things that will become the great things. And Anyway, greatness to God is not what we think of great. We know what we think is great. We know what our dreams are. I know the dreams I have for me, Lord. Dreams of greatness, power and prosperity. No, no. God says, I know the dreams I have for you. Perfect dreams. Dreams you can't possibly figure out. Have you ever tried to figure out what the Lord's doing or what he's going to do with you? Forget it. Because if you do, you're either thinking too small, it could become a gnat in your eye. Now, sometimes God will give you the vision that comes from him. Often God gives you great visions and he gives you great visions and then you end up in, in, in smallness. Smallness. He shows you the oasis, but it's through the desert that you get there. And do you know what? The oasis is going to be fun, but you will be made in the desert. Amen. You will be made. God is forging you. He's forging you. It's amazing what God forges us through. Like I said, it's not always his hand, it's the enemy. And whenever the enemy comes, you attack him full blown. You don't sit there, oh, praise the Lord, the enemy's having a go. You get out your shield and you get out your sword, the sword of the spirit. There's Christians out there today, they're putting on the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the shoes of the gospel, and then they're standing there in the battle. Bang, 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 bang. Bang, bang, bang. Well, where's your sword? And the sword is the, is, the, it is the anointed word of God. It is the word of God revealed for you for that situation that you face. I call them, how does God, God has got swords to give to you. I call them sticky words. God revolutionized my life when I was preaching on Abraham a couple of years ago. And I was preaching on Abraham. I said, Abraham, you know, he didn't have a Bible. He didn't have a New Testament. He spent his whole life, a whole life built on one word, or two maybe. Go to the promised land. You're going to have a son, Isaac. Well, could, could I have a few more pages of scripture? No. Could you embellish on that, Lord? No. So go to the promised land. That's what I said. And I'm going to have a son. Yeah. What else are you going to say? Don't need to say anything else. His whole Christian, if I can use that phrase, his whole Christian maturity came out of those two words. His failures were to do with those two words. His successes were to do with those two words. His interaction with those two words caused him to learn about God, grow in God. He had many failures. You look at him. Whenever he failed, he failed according to these two words. Whenever he succeeded, he succeeded according to those two words. And I thought, that's amazing how a man's life and destiny can be shaped by prophecy. That he actually got close to God through these two promises. You see, it's not so much the promise as the promise giver. 
And so we can talk about the word and confess the word, and I believe in that, and hold up the word and pray the word, and all that is amazing, but we want the one who gave the word. And when God gives you a promise, it actually, what happens is it becomes an integrity issue. You know, the Christian life is one of integrity is one of integrity issues and relational issues your christian discipleship is a relational issue with god is he worthy to be trusted i mean in reality and when he speaks to you will it come to pass is he this is abraham in whose steps we're meant to walk is he trustworthy because a lot of times you'll find yourself in a scenario where the word of God that you're given is the exact opposite to the circumstance you're facing. That's what James understood. And then you've got these relational trust issues. That's what it is. Christian, Christianity, sum it up. What is Christianity? Trust issues. You get born again, then it's trust issues. Do you have trust issues with God? How, how far do, does that trust that you have with God, how far does it go before you have issues? Don't know about you, but I know my issue point. I know my issue point. There's times and areas in life where I come and thought, I'm thought, I've got trust, I've got trust. Okay, we've got issues. I've got issues. <laughs> Not got, okay. And another area, trust, trust, I believe, trust, trust. Okay, we've hit issues. Well, I've got issues. I can't help it, I've got issues. What's your issues? I don't know what you're doing. What's your issues? I'm not sure you're going to do it. What's your issues? I don't know if I want to do it. What have you, you've hit trust issues. And that's why walking with faith is so wonderful. Because if you're not hitting up against trust issues, then you're, in, you're living in a comfort zone. And you need a fresh word from the Holy Spirit. And so I'm teaching on Abraham. And it's like God says to me, well, well what, what words are you living by? Bible. No, no. What words have I spoken to you that you're living by? And I thought, well, I, I don't know. So I got myself. Some of you have heard this, but I'm going to keep banging on about it till everybody does it. I got myself a nice moleskin, sort of like writing book. And I began to write down all the things that God had spoken to me in my life. Little things I shared last week. When I, I wasn't saved, I was, I was on a football team, seven-year-old, and the football manager was a bit of a father figure to me because my dad was in hospital at the time for two years. And he just turned to me one day, and my mum was there, and he said, you know what, Mrs. Atkinson, yes, that boy's going to be a vicar. There weren't any Pentecostals in that part of Yorkshire. I didn't, that boy's going to be a vicar. I thought, What? What's he on about? But you know, it never went away. I'm talking about it tonight. It was a seed. So I put that down. And then everything, everything, things spoken over me at Bible college. The verse that was given me in my baptism day. And everything I could remember began to put down. And I begin to see like a jigsaw puzzle of life. Past, present and future. And now what happens is when I get a word from the Lord... I write it in there. You say, well, how do you know it's a word from the Lord? Because it's a sticky word. You say, what do you mean a sticky word? It sticks. You know, when, when someone says something to you and it sticks, whoa, it sticks, you can't get it out of your mind, it sticks. Or you're reading the word. Some of the best words the Holy Spirit has spoken to me. In fact, my whole ministerial destiny was found in my Bible reading when I came to a passage in the Old Testament and I read it and it was just sticky. It was sticky. It was stuck to me. I was thinking, this is... This is, the, this, is where I, this is what God wants me. This, it's stuck and I wrote it down. I've had sticky words from, you get sticky words not just from the Bible, from everything. I told you today the time when I was annoyed coming back. You see, I've got major issues with God, can't you? Annoyed after a prayer meeting with God questioning, again, the trust issue points. But I tell you what, you say, oh, I don't have any trust issues with God. Well, get there. At least I'm out there extending, confronting, dealing, trying to grow, trying to deepen, got my trust issues put out there. And I'm off on the roundabout and I'm complaining. And I'm thinking, I can't be 
what people want me to be in the future and what you've called me to be. I can't be it, can't do it, can't, won't do it, can't do it, won't do it, can't do it, won't do it, don't want to do it, can't do it. You shouldn't have told me to do that. It's not fair. I've got what's plan B. And I'm getting to the, and I've got the, I've got the football, Wednesday night football in the background. And I hit that roundabout and they put on, I don't know who was playing, they put on a substitute uh, in the last few moments and all of a sudden the substitute scores. And then the commentator, everybody's going crazy, and the commentator goes, Come of the hour, come of the man. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. What are you worrying about your future? You're not the man that God, you're not the man that you're going to be in the future. That's the whole point. Sometimes we worry about what we're going to be. In the future, in our careers, with it, I could never be what you called me to be. But you will be it when you come to it. Come of that hour. Come of that moment. When God asks you to speak, when God asks you to witness, when God asks you to take a step and, and meet the boss or take a step out of your career into another, and you look at it and say, I can't do it. I just can't. When you come to that moment, don't worry about what you're going to say. Don't worry about what you're going to do because you will be the person of the moment. You'll be the person of the moment. And the sticky words are to prepare you for these moments. I've had one word from the Lord that has kept me going for a year and a half. Because there was life in it. Fight the good fight. Use the prophecies spoken over you. Don't just disregard them. Because in the dark place, the challenging place, you go back to the word and you go back to what God said to you and you read it. And it's living, it's ministering, it's sticky, it's there. And then what happens is, when, 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 after you've done this for a while, you look back and you say, I remember that sticky word. It's not sticky anymore. Why? It's been fulfilled. It's been fulfilled. And then you look at I remember when that was fulfilled. And you're encouraging yourself in the Lord because you're remembering what he told you about a situation long past, but didn't he come through for you? And you think, wow, I remember. I didn't th- I, he gave me this word. It was a sticky word. And, and, it's, and I just knew it was the Lord. And I went through it. And it all went wrong. And I remember how he brought it to pass. Oh, hallelujah. God is on the move. But we can't do that if we're all getting head up with little flies, gnats, and oh, better strain this gnat, better looking at this. When the big things, the big things of God, the heart things, you have been given such a huge heart. Do you know that? I mean, you have an enlarged heart, I'm not talking physically. God has given you such a huge heart. Your inner capacity, your inner man, your inner woman, out of your innermost being will flow drips of living water. Drips, Winston. Out of your inner, inner, innermost being will flow tapfuls of water. Rivers. Rivers. Your capacity, your capacity filled with the Holy Spirit is incredible. I don't know where you've come from, what you're struggling with, what you've failed at, but I'm telling you, your capacity, your inner capacity is immeasurable. That there is no measure. You, you can come to the place where you're filled without measure. God's doing a work in you. We need to step back every so often and examine our life. A life unexamined is no life at all, a great philosopher said. But when I say examine, I mean to step back. This is why it's good to go on weekend retreats. This is why sometimes it's good to get out from the regular. Get out from the daily. And, and you know, sometimes it's easier for other people. They're not, but there's places that I can go where I can clear my head and get a perspective Many of you that are Facebook friends know I regularly go down to the seaside, take my daughter there. I don't need much time there because I don't have much time there. I just need a few moments maybe to walk to the end of the pier and just look out. It's just the English Channel, not big, but just look out. I can't see. And just clear my head of the daily and the routine 
Let those sea breezes just carry those bugs, carry those flies that get in your mind and buzz around, those gnats, and just blow them away and open my mind and begin again to get things in a sense of perspective. You're thinking of giving up your cell. Don't do it. Don't do it. We need you. But I've only got one person. God can do something. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. And encourage others not to give up. Release the power of encouragement. Because some of these sticky words, they'll come from your mouth to another. Countless times, people have said things to me, they have no idea what they were saying. God was all over it. Open your mouth and encourage someone. Open your mouth and thank someone. He said, these are little things. These are big things. These are big things. Gnats are like criticism. It's so easy to criticize. Why? Because criticism of others deflects what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. Because when you're criticizing others, the Holy Spirit is, is, is unable to speak in your life. You're too busy. You're basically, aren't you? We are basically, when we're like that, criticism, because we all suffer from it. We are basically the people looking at specks in other people's eyes, aren't we? When we've got big planks in ours. And when you've got a big plank in your eye and you don't know it, you can't see. I spoke a, a while ago about Jesus saying, seeing, you just don't see. Hearing, you just don't hear. When he healed the man, born blind, the Pharisees said, are you calling us blind? He said, if you were blind, it wouldn't matter. It's the fact that you think you see. What a danger. Blind spots. Blind, we all have them. You have to own that you have them. Even if you don't know what they are, you've got to say, God, I've got some serious blind spots and I don't know what they are. Because if you don't own the fact that you do, how can the Holy Spirit... You'd be thinking, oh, I see it all. I know it all. I've been to Bible college. I've been preaching. I know it all. I know it. You've got to go with your blind spots. I'm going to read this. And I'm saying, Lord, you've got to, you've got to show me the blind spots. You've got to show me your blind spots. I've got to be open, even if it's painful. You ever had a truth told to you and it's very painful? I find very few people are open to be discipled. I find in this day and age, you just can't say what you need to say to certain people. You say, yes, you can. No, you can't because they won't receive it. I have many things to say to you, but you can't bear it. And many people put themselves in a position where you know exactly the piece of advice that they need. But you know, the amount of offence it's going to cause, why? Trust issues. You talk about trust issues with God, we have trust issues of one another. In other words, if a mentor or a discipler or a minister, and you look and you say, I could speak this word into their life, but you know they won't take it from me. Why? Because of their trust issues. They have issues. They think I'll be manipulating. They think I'll be judging. They think I'll be doing it you know, for my own gain to get them to do or be something or criticism or... And, and they just don't know. The hardest thing is to give a piece of advice to somebody who can't take it. It's a terrible situation. And I've seen it over the years. Maybe you have people and you know they're running aground and you try and speak to them and you just know that they're, they're not open. You know, there's many things... I need to work on, but one of them is I am open to my discipler. Some of the toughest words I've had have come from people I'm in a discipleship relationship. I mean, painful things. I mean, sometimes I've had that old little trust issue. Why did they say that? Was that necessary? But I'm not just submitting to a disciple, I'm submitting to God. God God's in control. He's, in, he's over everything. God is shaping and he's making a strong end-time church, but it's a disciple church. It's a church that's not going to get 
focusing on petty. Oh, I hate pettiness. Don't you hate pettiness? Especially in church, pettiness. Pettiness. And it's so hard not to react to pettiness because you want to just, you know what I'm talking Why don't you just do something for God and stop being so petty? She said, and he said, and she said, and he said, and he don't know, I don't know. Shut up. But you, you can't do that. Not always is that the right thing to do. Pettiness. But then the pettiness of our lives, the pettiness. Grand things. God has grand things. Grand things prepared. Grand things for the end time church. The darker it gets, the greater it's going to be when the light floods, like a floodlight, across Europe. Now it can go either way. Revival is not certain in Europe, but neither is total damnation and judgment. God is looking, as I said last week, for a priestly nation. You are foremost upon this earth. First and foremost, a priest. You have to stand before man on behalf of God, but we have to learn to stand before God on behalf of man. I looked for a person to stand in the gap. All glory to God. We can turn this thing around, but we have to see things as they are and not as we would like them to be. One of the biggest dangers is to be like these Pharisees. They're looking at the gnats thinking, this is really important. This is what it's all about. And forgetting the camels. We have to see things as they are. We have to look at ourselves in the mirror of God's word and say, this is who I am, warts and all. But don't be discouraged. Be encouraged. You see, the trouble is, some of us, we're not mature enough to see who, what we're really like. <laughs> It takes maturity to think, whoa, all right, got major work to be done, major reconstruction, and then not to go off into guilt, depression, and oh, forget it. It's really hard to keep balanced because the Lord is like saying, how much do you want me to show you about the state of darkness in the nation? And then he shows you a glimpse and you almost pass out spiritually. He said, I don't want to see that anymore. Or... Show me where I am. He says, you really want to know? Yes. And he shows you a little bit. Thing. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm resigning tomorrow then. I'm, I'm, I'm out. I'm off. I'm off. And it's like, <sighs> mature yourself. Mature yourself. Because you don't want to go to an extreme. You've got to see things as they are, and that might bring pain, but you can't go off into depression. You can't go off into negativity. You can't go off into offense. You can't go off and hide. But at the same time, you can't live in an unreality where everything's roses, everything's wonderful, where you cocoon yourself in something that's not real and, and, and speak words like the Old Testament prophets. <laughs> when Israel was on the precipice, of being taken into captivity, there were so many prophets saying it won't happen. God loves us too much. What we have to do is we have to grow. It's not overnight. I'm speaking meat to you this evening. And we have to grow in balance. Grow in balance. We have to be sober and alert. But we have to be pos po positive and full of faith. We have to understand these themes of darkness and light. Struggle and victory. We are more than conquerors. But unfortunately, there are things that we have to conquer. Let's bow our heads in prayer. If I can ask the ministry team to come on the platform. I just scatter, it's like a scattergun tonight. Some of this may not meant much to you. Others did. The picture was the gnat and the camel. And that can mean many things. Perspective, legalism, religion, yes, but in our lives. Maybe there was a sticky word for you tonight. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Maybe there's somebody here and you say, my God, I'm just a visitor. You need to get saved from your sins. Let that be a sticky word. You need to be born again. You can't do it in the old life the old you is defective 
but God can give you a new you that's really you. With every head bowed. You are one heartfelt, it's got to be the heart, prayer away from changing your destiny in this place tonight. From coming from darkness to light, from sin to righteousness. And all you have to do is recognize in your heart that Jesus is Lord. He's raised from the dead. That's all you need to go on with and you'll be saved. Upstairs and downstairs. Is there anybody in this place tonight ready to be right with God? I want your hand in the air. I'm going to pray for you. Lift your hands up. Balcony. Yeah. You lift your... I don't pray for people that keep their hands down, yes. Because it's not much to signal to God. He was lifted up on a cross. It doesn't take much to lift a hand in faith. Who else? Up in the balcony. I believe that there's at least one. Thank you. Anybody else? Now is your time. Don't have trust issues at this point. Trust him. This is the first issue. The issue of did he die for you? Yes. Did he, is he raised from the dead? Yes. Is there a heaven? Yes. Is there a hell? Yes. Trust that God has made a way. Yeah. Is there anybody else? Just stay in this atmosphere because we're going to move from this into a time of ministry. We've got some words and prophecies from our ministry team. We're going to release those. And then we're going to ask people to come in response to those. And then Daniel's going to lead it. But right now, listen, God, God may be giving you a word today. Who's, who's, who's first? Let me shine it, that's right. Nice and loud. Hello. I believe there are people who have got one or two people with pain on their left knee. If you are there, you come out and we'll pray for you. Okay, next. Yeah. I believe there's somebody here who has a uh, problem with their shoulder as well. I was going to say left knee because I had the word as well. Somebody has shoulder pain. Um, if you'd like to come out, we'll pray for you. I have another one where I believe there's somebody having problems with their ankle, weak ankles. Um, I want to pray for you for that. And this other one's a little bit sensitive. Um, there's somebody here who's had um, a termination as, um, as a believer. And I believe God wants to really minister to you. You're having ch- challenges with you know, accusation about it. You've had time for prayer for it before, but you're still feeling you know, a sense of guilt and accusation. The Holy Spirit really wants to minister his love to you this evening. So if, you, if that belongs to you, I would like to pray with you. Isaiah is coming to a close. There are so many people who are in this auditorium and they've been wondering, God, I needed to see this and this happen before the year come to a close. Now it's only 23 days left and you feel you're in a place where you can't trust God anymore because you feel like he has let you down. But God is saying at this time that you need to trust him and you need to have a strong finishing anointing. I feel You've got to cry out that God is going to give you a finishing anointing. At 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord are searching the whole earth, looking for someone he can strengthen. So if you're out there and you feel God has let you down because he didn't fulfill the things you wanted to have seen happen, he's still going to do it because he's a faithful God, because his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. So if you're there, God is here to revive you tonight. God is saying there are some women in here who is seeking fruit of the womb. They like to come up for prayers, please. As I was praying, I saw a picture down there um, that a person was holding on to a handrail on the side. And it's basically the Christian walk as they are walking, that they are holding on to something. They, they can't let go of it. And as they are trying to walk, God is telling them, like, let go of it, let go of it you think is, is helping you to walk whereby he is one to set you free and I think my brother over here knows what, what this is all about um, I, I think what the Lord is saying is uh, that, that there's a lot of anxiety and worries and fears that you're holding now there's a peace that he wants to give to you which passes all understanding 
Now his peace does not make any sense whatsoever. It's the kind of peace that you have when in the midst of stuff, you still remain calm. Now he wants to give that to you, but you seem to be holding this. You know, he has the oil of gladness and the garment of praise in his hands. He wants to give it to you, but you're holding anxieties and worries. You need to let them go. You need to put them down. Your hands are too full of all these worries and stuff. You have to let it go. Please, let it go. There is no point. If God be God, let him be God. Let him do what he has to do. He can be trusted. God is good. Yes, we talk about integrity of God. God is faithful. It's the reason why you are here. But you have to let it go. You have to let it go. You have to let it go. Amen. Next. I believe because the Lord is saying that uh, there are a lot of people who have got fear of next year, the coming year. And the Lord says, don't be afraid. My thoughts are different than your thoughts and my ways are different than my, your ways. God is in control. Do not be afraid. In relation to the fear, I believe there are people here who are so fearful. It's not just fear, it's really gripping and it's choking you. Yeah. All right, now, not all of those are for everybody, but you've got to pick the one that God's on for you. And maybe you got yours earlier during the worship, or maybe you got yours during the sermon, or maybe you'll get yours tonight when you put your head on the pillow. You'll get what you need when you need it. But what we're going to do now is we're just going to spend some time. We're not in a hurry. If you need to leave, you're more than welcome to go. If you've got a busy week, that's fine. But we're going to minister. If any of those spoke to you or anything in the sermon, we can pray for you. Or if there's anything else you want prayer for, you can come. But we're just going to spend some time responding to the Lord. Sometimes God meets you right where you are when you pour your heart out to him in praise and worship. And Daniel may find some leadings in the healing or something as we go forward in here. So we're just going to spend time in his presence. As I said, if you need to go at any time, you feel uh, free to do that. But let's all stand together as we begin this part. And feel free to come out downstairs for prayer. And let's seal these things in our hearts. <laughs>